have in your family. Uh, one of the traditions we have at the Zier house is each Christmas morning we read the Christmas story while our kids use the nativity set to kind of act out the story as it's being read. Um, now, as, as they continue to get older, I'm hopeful that this tradition won't fall out of favor. Um, hopefully, as teenagers, they'll still enjoy doing that type of a thing. But, uh, but when I saw that Christmas was on a Sunday this year, I, I, I wondered if we might be able to incorporate that kind of a thing into our morning worship service together. So in lieu of a regular sermon this morning, uh, what we're going to do is work our way through the Christmas story in the Gospels of uh, Matthew and Luke. And what we'll do then is I've, uh, we have a empty table up here right now, but I've given the different nativity pieces to uh, different people here, and as I'm reading the scripture about the specific character, they're going to bring that character up, and by the end of the morning, we will have our uh, completed nativity set. So, And then also, as we progress through the Christmas story, we're going to be singing Christmas carols that go along with each part that we just read. So that's my vision for today. Hopefully it'll, it'll, uh, it'll work well and, and be a blessing to you as we ponder the Christmas story and, and, and ponder the role that each, each character, each person played in that story on the, on the day of the birth of Jesus so long ago. So we're going to begin this morning by focusing our attention on Mary and the message that was spoken to Mary. So I would encourage you, as we're reading through the Christmas story, I would encourage you to follow along with me in your own Bible, or you can grab the Bible in the pew in front of you. The first passage that we're going to read is from Luke chapter 1, and I'll start reading in verse 26. So Luke chapter 1, verse 26, and then as I'm reading, we'll have Mary brought up, and, and we'll go from there. So Luke 1.26, it says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came and he, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, 
And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, one of the things I think can be beneficial to do is to try to place ourselves in the shoes of those involved in the birth of Jesus. I mean, imagine the situation that Mary found herself in. A woman can hide her pregnancy for a time, but eventually it becomes apparent to all, even someone like me who isn't always the most observant, right? Eventually it becomes obvious. But maybe even more pressing than than what would everybody else think that Mary was pregnant, what would Joseph think? I mean, wouldn't it, wouldn't it seem on the surface like Mary had been unfaithful to him? And to complicate the matter, her explanation to Joseph would have to talk about an angel appearing to her. And it would include phrases like the power of the Most High overshadowing her, and, and the Son will be called the Son of the Most High and the Son of God, and, and God will give him the throne of his father David. I mean, for as blessed as Mary was due to that role that she had been given, it was not an easy role. It just wouldn't have been. I mean, she, she was exposed to public scrutiny and potentially even rejection by her fiancé. And then, in addition to that, this young girl, I mean, potentially a young teenager, was tasked as a first-time mom with being the mother to the godchild. I mean, if you've been a mom for the first time before, you know that's <laughs> crazy enough, right? And then, to add on top of that, this is, this is the son of the Most High. Surely, Mary felt, felt feelings of inferiority doubt and, and pressure, surely that would have been somewhat of a struggle for her. And yet, in the midst of all of that, God, God gave her the strength to rest in him and say, I am the servant of the Lord. I mean, it truly is an incredible statement that Mary made. She entrusted herself fully to God, while I'm sure still having so many questions that, that were not yet answered. So while we, while we shouldn't worship Mary, I, I, I do believe we ought to have a bit of reverence within ourselves for her. I mean, she displayed an incredible amount of trust during this unexpected calling from God. So as I, as I said earlier, we're going to sing a Christmas carol that goes along with each of the passages that we'll be reading and each of the characters that we'll be looking at. Uh, first this morning, we're going to sing, What Child Is This? What Child Is This? And as we sing this song, let's consider what it would have been like to have been Mary holding the newborn Jesus in her arms. So the worship team's going to come up. We're going to sing this song. I won't have you stand for all of these because that'll be a whole lot of up and down, but let's stand for the first one as we sing, sing this song, What Child Is This?
next person that we'll look at in the story is Joseph. And as we, as we noticed, Mary had a, a tall task ahead of her to convince Joseph of her innocence, to convince Joseph of her divine calling as had been given to her. But rather than place the burden of proof Solely upon Mary, God sent his messenger to speak directly with Joseph as well. So if you'd like to follow with me, this is in Matthew chapter 1, and we'll start in verse 18. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. It says this, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. 
And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So not unexpectedly, Joseph struggled to believe Mary, and, and as we're told, had, had resolved to divorce her quietly. Speak, it speaks of a mind that had been made up. I mean, after all, the Immaculate Conception was a miracle that had no precedence. I think we can understand why Joseph would struggle believing what Mary had told him. And I wonder, maybe, maybe Joseph, I wonder if Joseph doubted Mary as much as he doubted whether God could really become a human and be born of a woman. Maybe it all just sounded crazy. But because God's ways will not be thwarted, an angel appeared to Joseph as well and validated Mary's explanation. And, and didn't just validate it, but, but placed the event within the context of prophecy. I mean, the angel quoted from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, affirming that the child to be born would be God himself, present with his people. God would soon be with his people in a way which, again, it was unprecedented, had not been seen before. And, and as the angel also proclaimed, God, he wasn't coming to be with his people simply to hang out. He wasn't coming to earth for a vacation. He was coming to save his people from their sins. Now, we don't know what happened to Joseph during his life. He, he appears for the last time in the Gospels when Jesus is 12 years old the scene where they went to the temple. It's the last time we see anything of Joseph in the life of Jesus. He's never mentioned during his public ministry. Um, some people think Joseph might have died in between when Jesus was 12 and when he started his public ministry. Whatever did happen, we know that when Joseph awoke from his dream, in which the angel spoke to him, he went out and he reaffirmed his commitment to Mary. And when the time came then for, for fathers of Jewish boys to name their children, he gave him the name which the angel had spoken, Jesus, which of course means God saves. This child, Jesus, was God coming to be with his people and to save his people. So we're going to sing the Christmas carol which calls upon God to come among his people 
and do his saving work. We're going to sing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And as we sing this song, the ushers are going to come forward and we're going to take the offering during this song as well. So, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Well, so far we've talked about two main characters in the birth of Jesus. Now we're going to talk about the setting of his birth. Mary and Joseph were from Nazareth, which was up by the Sea of Galilee. But that was not where the Messiah was prophesied to be born. So I'd encourage you to follow along with me. We'll go back to the Gospel of Luke. This will be from Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. 
It says this, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up to Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. So it was from the city of David that the king from the line of David would come. In Micah chapter 5, it was prophesied that the ruler of Israel would come from Bethlehem. So that wasn't Joseph and Mary's hometown. They didn't live in Bethlehem. It wasn't their current place of dwelling, but they went there because Joseph's ancestral line was from Bethlehem. And according to the mandated census, that was where he needed to go. Now, in reality, there were larger forces at work leading Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem than just the census. God placed it on Caesar's mind to perform such a census. It was according to God's purposes that Mary and Joseph journeyed to Bethlehem right at the time of Mary's due date. Not too early, not too late, at the right time, right on time, they were there. And upon arrival in Bethlehem, Mary and Joseph struggled to find lodging for themselves. Now, due in large part to the translation in the King James Version, going back 500 years, many of us today picture an inn. And when we picture an inn, we think of a type of hotel. There's reasons that it's probably more accurate to think of a guest room in a residential house rather than a hotel-type setting. First, the, the cultural custom at that time was for people living in a town to offer hospitality for guests and for visitors that would come. And, and that hospitality wouldn't just be in the form of food or water, but a place to stay overnight if needed. And so as a result, Joseph and Mary would have expected someone to take them into their home upon their arrival in Bethlehem. And then second, the, the Greek word that is used in Luke chapter 2, verse 7, is actually used two other times in the New Testament, and both times it is used in reference to the guest room or the upper room where the Last Supper was held. It seems clear that the Last Supper was held in a residential house in the guest room, and there really isn't any reason to suspect otherwise in the birth story, that the word is used any different than it would have been then. It's, it's likely that there wasn't any room in the household of Joseph's extended family. And then in addition to that, the way houses were constructed at the time, they were often set up with a lower courtyard 
area where livestock would be kept. And so we can see why when Joseph and Mary showed up and there wasn't room in the guest room that they would have stayed down in that courtyard area where there were livestock and then subsequently a manger as well. So I know our nativity scene this morning looks more like a barn than a Middle Eastern house, but we're just going to have to go with it, all right? And, and props to Sharon, I didn't say this earlier, I, I came to Sharon months ago with an idea, needing a specific kind of nativity scene, a specific size, and she did her search and found the perfect one for us to use, so I appreciate that, Sharon. Uh, so when Mary and Joseph, when they arrived at the place of their lodging, when they came to, to Bethlehem, it, those present didn't seem overly excited for them to be there. They didn't seem overly excited for them to dwell with them, for their baby to dwell with them. But praise God that that cold reception didn't stop God from coming to dwell with mankind anyway. And so as we consider the the setting for the birth of Jesus, we'll sing together that familiar song, O Little Town of Bethlehem. So let's sing that one now.
Upon the birth of Jesus, an announcement needed to be made. The birth of the Son of God wasn't something to keep quiet. And so God again sent his messenger to inform his chosen ones of what had taken place. Now, instead of me reading this passage to you, and we will be in Luke chapter 2, verse 8, instead of me reading it to you, I thought I'd secure the services of a young animated boy named Linus, perhaps one of the more culturally famous readings of this passage of the Bible. So go ahead and take it away, Linus. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. Now, Linus is obviously a fictional character, but, but the words he spoke couldn't be truer. Breaking through in the darkness of that night, the angel shone from God brightly. He shone brightly before the shepherds, and he summed up perfectly what had taken place in nearby Bethlehem. And, and it was indeed good news of great joy. It was joyful news that needed to be declared to all the people. The, the prophecy in, uh, in Isaiah chapter 9 that, that we've talked about the last four weeks stated that to us a child is born and to us a son is given. And the statement from the angel echoed that very prophecy. He said, unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And so one more time, an angel in the birth story shares information that just doesn't seem to make logical sense. This Savior is a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger, in a feed trough. You know, it's a good thing angels are so impressive, because if not, I'm not sure the three proclamations that they made to Mary and Joseph and to the shepherds, that they would be believable. I mean, think about the words that they're speaking. This one specifically, the Savior of the world, he's lying in a feed trough in Bethlehem. Man, the, the angels, God-given glory, surely helped in the reception of the message that they were proclaiming. And so, as we've been doing, let's worship God and, and contemplate this part of the story by singing angels 
from the realms of glory. Let's stand together for this one. Angels from the realms of glory. seated. Well, as we noted in the, the passage we just read or just listened to, the message of the angel was given to the shepherds near Bethlehem. The, the vision of angels in the sky was extraordinary, and their message was incredible. But what would those shepherds do in response? Well, let's see. Luke chapter 2, picking up the story in verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, 
glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Now, a couple things really stand out to me in those verses. The shepherds went in haste. Now, I don't know if they just left the sheep in the fields by themselves. I don't know if the shepherds ran all the way into town. I don't know what going in haste means, but they went with haste. There was purpose in their journeys. I would say it sounds like they were excited in what they were told. They recognized the significance of what had just happened, what the angel had told them, and they wasted no time in going to see the newborn Savior. Whatever excuses they could have made about going to see Jesus, they threw those to the side and they went with haste. And then after being there, the other thing that stands out to me is when they went back to their jobs as shepherds, when they returned back to the fields, they returned as changed individuals. They, they glorified God. They praised God for all they had seen and heard. Just because they left the baby Jesus, it doesn't mean that, okay, that was over, now we go back to life as usual. They continued glorifying and praising God. Their, their interaction with Jesus seemed to have altered who they were, altered their life. I think there's a good challenge for us in there, and not just on Christmas morning, but, but every day. Has our life been impacted and changed by Jesus? Do our interactions with our Savior lead us to glorify him and praise him? The, the song that we're going to sing next, How Great Our Joy, is sung from the perspective of the shepherds. Now, this wasn't the exact song that they would have been singing on their way back to the fields, but I think it surely captures their thoughts and their attitude well. So, so as we sing it together, let's ponder how their hearts, how their minds were lifted to God as the result of their meeting Jesus. So how great our joy.
Now, it's, uh, it's unknown whether or not the next group was present at or near the birth of Jesus, or if they came weeks or months or, or even years later. Uh, the text in Matthew chapter 2 is not definitive regarding the timing of the wise men's, wise men's visit, but it is clear regarding the nature of the visit, and it's clear that they did come to see Jesus. So back in Matthew's gospel, starting in chapter 2, verse 1, we'll read about the wise men. And it says this, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler." who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, when it talks about their own country, we don't know exactly where the wise men came from other than the direction from the east. Seems safe to assume they, they traveled a long distance. The shepherds who came to see Jesus were probably Jewish men from fields close by, maybe within eyesight of Bethlehem. But the wise men were probably Gentiles from a land far away. And what is incredible is that even at the birth of Jesus, we, we are already given a picture of how he would draw all men to himself, both Jew and Gentile. There's representatives from both groups 
present. I mean, what, what had been spoken of in the prophets hundreds of years before was already being fulfilled in the early moments and years of Jesus' life. What we also see in the scene with the wise men is the two common responses to Jesus. Responses that were common then and responses that are still common today. There are those who hear about Jesus and worship him in response. And we see that in the wise men. But there are those who hear about Jesus and reject him, worshiping themselves instead. And we see that in the response of King Herod. John, in his gospel, writes that uh, the light, referring to Jesus, the light has come into the world, but some have loved darkness rather than the light. And so as we sing the song from the perspective of the wise men, three, we, three kings of Orient are, the, the lyrics, uh, the chorus of the song specifically, speaks about a great light the star of Bethlehem, guiding them to the perfect light, Jesus himself. And so as the wise men sought Jesus then, let's continue to seek him, continue to seek that perfect light now today. So let's sing this song, We Three Kings of Orient Are. Our nativity scene is nearly complete. But kids, who are we missing yet? Who are we missing? We're missing the one at the center of the story. The smallest 
figure in our nativity scene, but, but not at all the least significant. In fact, the complete opposite. It's the one at the center of this story. All the other characters, even though they are larger in physical size, play supporting roles in the story. So we've come to Jesus. This is from Luke chapter 2, verse 21. It says, And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So on the eighth day of his birth, as was the Jewish custom, the baby boy was circumcised and officially named. And as the angel had declared to Joseph, he was named Jesus, the Lord saves. All the things spoken about by the prophets long ago, all the things spoken about by the angels at his birth were confirmed as he was named. He was named Jesus. And not just through his name, but through his life that he went on to live. The birth of Jesus, followed by his death and his resurrection, is the reason that we have hope in the world. He truly does save. It's not just his name. It's what he does. It's who he is. And so the two songs that we're going to close our service with this morning, O Holy Night and Joy to the World, they're obviously Christmas songs, but they are two Christmas songs that focus heavily on the salvific implications of Jesus. It's not just his birth, but when, what he would go on to do. The, the night of Jesus' birth is only holy because he breaks chains and ceases oppression, as the lyrics say. Jesus' birth brings joy, but it's because blessings flow far as the curse is found. So we're going to close our time together by singing those two songs. Let's stand together for these last two. And I'm really appreciative of our worship team this morning doing all the up and down that I've asked them to do. But let's close with these final two songs. Oh,
wonders of his love and wonders of his love and wonders wonders of his love celebrating with family and with friends and go in the peace 